I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 235 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And during this episode, we have an interview with Nick Dumont, bassist for the Australian band, The Ugly Kings. This turned out to be a really cool interview, and I mentioned this all the way at the end of the show, but just to kind of set things up here. So I'm ready to jump in the shower right before the show. Just Fridays are the busiest day for me out of the week because I got to get the live stream stuff ready. I need to get this ready. I need to get the video version, all the, you know, website posts, so on and so forth. So I need to get all this stuff in order. Some days I have an hour to spare. Some days it's down to, you know, a few seconds, <laughs> you know, and last week was one of these days where it was just a complete shit show. And as I thought that nothing could swerve farther or anything could get any more difficult, all of a sudden I'm about to jump in the shower and I get this message on Instagram. Hey, this is Nick from the Ugly Kings. Uh, Russell's not going to be able to do the interview. Is there any problem with me doing it? And I'm like, Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, it was one of these things where I didn't expect it at all. And what am I going to say? I can't say no. You know, I wanted to talk to somebody from the band. Would have been cool to go with the original plan, but life doesn't always go as planned, so we roll with the punches. And I think that the interview with with Nick is really cool. Um, I think that we got to talk about a lot of really neat topics. The chat was really going really well last week. A lot of different questions came from the chat. There were some things that I couldn't ask. If you've never joined us for the Signals from Mars live stream, pretty much any question you guys ask, I pass on to the person that I'm interviewing. And they see what you're asking as well. Sometimes they respond directly. Sometimes they don't. There's a part where... We're talking about gear and Nick notices that somebody asks about a piece of his gear and, and he responds directly to that. So yeah, it's a real troll free environment. It's really fun. If you want to join us, it's Friday, 6 PM Eastern, 3 PM Pacific 11 in the UK. If you just so happen to be in Europe, like I am, it's midnight Friday going into Saturday. And oh yeah, now that we know, if you're in Melbourne, Australia, it's 8 a.m. So if you want to get up and join us for the chat, you're more than welcome to do so and more than welcome to throw your questions our way. So there you go. Uh, the interview starts roughly at the 10-minute mark. I do want to say thank you to my patrons. Uh, we will go oldest to newest today. Steve Hoker, Jeremy Weltman, who we'll hear from in a little bit. Glad to hear that he's over COVID. So big th thumbs up for that. Um, Mike Jones, hope the flooding isn't that bad for you in Jersey. Uh, we have Brad Dahl out in Utah from Yarg Metal. Check out yargmetal.com. 
Mark Striegel from Talking Metal, who I co-host some stuff on his Patreon. And I do the Mark Striegel podcast with him and also the um, uh, recap show for him, where I go over shows from the last 15 days, whether it's Talking Metal or Talking with Mark Striegel. We have the metal dentist, Mr. Gabriel Ruiz. We have Chris Vaglio of the Chris and Amanda show. We have uh, Jose up in Connecticut. We have Jerry from Long Island. We have Metal Dan out in California. And we have uh, Rob Rowe from the Rock and Roll podcast. And we have Johan up in Sweden. We're going to get to Jeremy Weltman and patrons pick in a second. I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show. I appreciate whether you can join us live, whether you listen to the replay or watch the replay on YouTube, whether you like, share, whatever it is you can do, whether you can join us on Patreon, any one of these things, any way that you can show support. I realize that not everyone can go to Patreon. I realize that everyone has different priorities in their life. I realize that not every episode you know, is something that interests you, but I thank you regardless. In any event, let's get into this week's Patrons Pick with Jeremy Weltman. Here's Jeremy Weltman with Patrons Pick. Hello, another Patrons Pick. Finally over the COVID, well, at least as far as I can get at the moment, uh, which is great. Starting to feel much, much better. Um, MuzzleTaxRadio.com um, Victor Ruiz has put up uh, quite a list of albums this week there were 20 albums two EPs including one by Dirk Schneider and the Old Gang there were four reissues, one live album three compilations out of all those uh, there were a few interesting ones, uh, there was one by Kat Von D Love Made Me Do It which was quite interesting uh, the Neil Morse Band if you like a bit of melodic prog uh, Innocence and Danger the album that was interesting as well. Uh, also, tur- a band uh, called Turnstile with uh, an album called Glow On. There was the Cal L album, Dark Majesty, quite a nice Doom album. And there was an album by Mystery that was called Live Life Loud, a bit of a sleazy rock band. Some of it wasn't particularly well uh, produced. It was a bit of a bad mix, really. It sounded a bit dated, but um, some of the songs were interesting. And there was also, finally, a band called Takeda with Falling From Fame, which was quite nice and melodic. Anyway, we get to this week's patron's pick, and it's as exciting as it gets, this one. This is an album to get you on your feet, fist pumping and forget all about COVID. This is an album that makes you want to immediately jump on the next plane, hire a huge open-top car, foot on the gas, as they say, and drive across America without stopping. This is an album that Guns N' Roses can only dream of making. This is the Bronx, punk as it's meant to sound, raw and exciting, but with melody and a master plan, a plan to make a stunningly good album, an album that is even better this week than Danko Jones, an album that quite simply could just be album of the year. It starts as it means to go on at breakneck pace with white shadow and super bloom, the gravelly vocal, guitars blazing, drums keeping pace. The sort of songs you know that Guns N' Roses should be making. Even the kiss-friendly Watering the Well, a song tailor-made for Gene and Paul, is a perfect break before the band thrash out curb feelers 
an up-tempo, riftastic slice of bop with endless turns that are enough to make you dye your hair green, get a tattoo and join a commune. It all slows down a bit for Peace Pipe, but just when you think the album might have peaked, there's more killer guitar. Along comes High Five with its distorted feedback, fueled intro and another catchy chorus. Following that, the mariachi punk spliff Mexican Summer, the ripping pace of new lows, and at this stage a certain Slash is breaking down the studio door to join in the jam. It closes out with three songs, one of which is the sublime Jack of All Trades, and you know you've just heard an album you have to buy. The new Bronx album, Bronx Six, great songs, great production, orange vinyl. Buy it now. It's Patron's Pick. Okay, so two things immediately come to mind. Wow, and holy shit. What a review, Jeremy. That was awesome. That was excellent. That makes me <laughs> think, what the hell am I doing when I'm writing my reviews? That was absolutely terrific. I need to check that band out. The Bronx need to hire Jeremy to be their hype man after that. That was beyond great. Thank you, Jeremy, for once again another great patron's pick. And as usual, I didn't listen to that until I was just putting this episode together because I want to be surprised. And even though I saw the title when he sent me the audio a few days ago, I kind of had it in the back of my mind. And I remember now and I was plugging it in, but I did not expect that. But thank you. Anyway, we're going to transition into the interview portion. I hope you enjoy this interview with Nick Dumont. From the Ugly Kings, thanks, and see ya! Um, welcome, everyone, to the Friday, uh, August 27th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream, brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast and VMRIT.com. And we are spanning the globe tonight because I say that it's August 28th, 7th, but it's August 28th for me because it's midnight in Europe. And then you're in Australia, Nick. So it is what time for you right now? It's 8 a.m. Just straight out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to put on your, you know, a good face right on early in the morning to have. Yeah, some absolutely. A bit, bit, bit of moisturizer and everything. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate you uh, joining me under the circumstances, and I'm glad that we were able no. to. Uh, Connect no and problem. thanks very much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I just have to switch up some of my questions. Won't be lead vocalist questions, but I think we can <laughs> do right. We'll work out. We'll work out. I can be in his brain. I can be in his brain. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say hello to uh, the people checking in in the chat. Rob Rowe um, in Missouri. We have uh, Jose up in Connecticut. Jeremy in Manchester in the UK. Uh, thank you guys for spending Friday with us here. And this is Mr. Nick Dumont from the Ugly Kings. And thanks very a, much. See you. Yeah. Hello, everyone. If if you can't tell from his accent, he's from Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> band out of Australia. Uh, yeah, straight out of 
I, I love what Napalm is doing. I wrote about this today because I wrote about one of your label mates who released an album uh, today, uh, Ginger. And what I love that Napalm is doing is that it's almost like an old school label feel in the sense that they're releasing a lot of different music from a lot of different types of bands. So it isn't like every band doesn't sound the same. Like they're not, the label isn't pigeonholing itself. You guys sound nothing like ginger or sound nothing like war Kings or sound nothing like, you know, uh, uh sumos. No. Yeah. Sumo psycho, you know, so on. Look at the last, all these bands. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what, what was it like, you know, what, what drew you guys to napalm to begin with? Uh, it was really lucky to be perfectly honest because uh, we were about to record the new album in March 2020 and literally 10 days before lockdown, uh, before we were meant to record, lockdown happened here. Right. So we had to put everything on, we had to put everything on hold by that time. And we used that time to refine the songs in lockdown no matter what. So we took advantage of it. But through the process of lockdown, Napalm got in touch with us probably in October, November, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's when a discussion started with them. So we 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 chatted for a few weeks, and then yeah, we, we decided to join. And they wanted to release the new album, and that's how it worked out. But if it wasn't for lockdown, we probably would have recorded this and released it on our own, mm-hmm. which would have been a very different process. Yeah, so we got very lucky here. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That was one of my questions because it seems like with a lot of the bands that I'm interviewing, I think the silver lining from the pandemic is that a lot of these bands have been able to spend more time working on the music than they would have beforehand. So you have a lot of bands that have really been able to step their game up and really from a composition standpoint, and even from a sonic standpoint, I think a lot of bands have maybe taken a little bit more attention to detail and wanting to make, having the time being able to do the best possible. Do you feel that you guys have done the same? I completely agree. Yeah, we um when we were about to get in the studio last year, we had about three pre-production sessions, mm-hmm. but obviously a fair a fair amount of rehearsals. But when we got into lockdown, we worked on the songs at home individually, and we kept bouncing ideas back and forth to each other, and adding little bits there, little riffs here, little little change here, and that gave us so much time to do that. That was really ideal. I mean, at the time I was still studying, so I had plenty of time at home. I wasn't working from home. The others were working from home. So it, it gave us so much more time, yeah, to bounce off more ideas, refine the lyrics, refine the the arrangements. That's that's going to make the songs, yeah, completely, yeah, game changer. Awesome. Okay. Um, for you as a bassist, was there anything that you were able to do on this album that maybe you hadn't? done on the first album or maybe given the time you tried out different things that maybe you didn't intend on doing initially? Um, not necessarily intend on doing, but it definitely gave me time for myself to work on my baselines a bit more uh, because you don't know it like until the last minute, until you hit record, the baseline changed nonstop. So it really depends on the moods you're in and how much time you've got to work on it. And I had so much time at home to do it. I refine every single line to the best it could be. Mm-hmm. And until the moment, it, yeah, we hit record in the studio, we're still changing everything. Oh, this can sound better. This can sound better. So there needs to be a point when you say, all right, this is it. It needs to be on the record now. 
So yeah, it was 10 months of pulling hair and be like, this baseline can be a little bit better, can it? <laughs> right. Awesome. Um, what do you feel you guys have been able to do outside of refining or, you know, some of the stuff that you've already described? If you listen to the new album, to Strange, Strange Times, mm-hmm. what do you take from this album that you feel is superior to the first album? Um, the stories, I think the stories are more relatable to everyone because without being about COVID itself, we, we, we're not talking about COVID. We're talking about the moods that have been brought through by what's been happening. If there's one experience that we all have at this point in, in our life now, it's the COVID experience. We all have this. We can all relate to that one experience around the world. And that's what all the songs talk about. They talk about different moods, different mindsets that we've been through in the past year. The lyrics are really um, poetic in my in my opinion. I think Rusty has this way of using lyrics as poetry um, and talks, use stories like this, storytelling. And these songs explain the moods, explains exactly what we're all going through without mentioning the big C anywhere. That's not what it's about. It's about your emotions and how you travel through what you get given by the world at the moment. Yeah, completely. Gotcha. So the, the title of the album is very much intended based on what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also strange, strange times, the song itself was meant to be a medley with techno drone. There were, there were at first, there were two songs in one techno drone being the first one. And then we cut them and separated them. And then Strange Times, given how it kind of relates to the whole album, he has the, the, the emotions and the meanings of the whole album. And even musically and sonically, it changes so much throughout that it was meant to be the opener. It was really meant to be like this, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When you're saying that they were both together, Technodrone is much farther down in the album and mm-hmm. the title track kicks everything off, which... Yeah, it's cool. It was uh, at first. It was it was a medley where Technodrome was first, and that slowdown you get as it, at the start of Strange Strange Time after the fast pace, right, was coming after Technodrome. So it was slowing down into the the next one in one big song. Wow. So we we made that little change at one point. Yeah. <laughs> How long would the song have been with the two? Because the title track is pretty long as is. Yeah, it was about nine minutes, eight or nine minutes. Yeah, so you're, you're not radio friend, not radio friendly. <laughs> I was going to say you're getting into prog territory there all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One, one yeah, of the good. things that I'm lucky to have is that you know I just mentioned where everyone who was joining us in the chat is from. Uh, one of the things that we've done is that we've had different discussions about specific bands, and it's cool to hear people from different parts of the world and even different parts of the States where, you know, how they interpret how a band came up. Um, What I wanted to ask you being that you're in Australia, I think you're only the second person that I've ever interviewed from Australia in 12 years. Um, For you, what was the first band that spoke to you and said, I want to be a musician? Well, funnily enough, we are a band from Australia, but I'm French. Chris, the guitarist, is Greek. Rusty, the singer, is from New Zealand. And only our drummer is from Australia. He's from Queensland. So uh, for me, the person that said I need to pick up a guitar is Stevie Ray Vaughan. Okay. Um, 
the blues singer, yeah. With the first, the moment I was 14 and the moment 15, the moment I saw a video of him at the start of YouTube, I was like, I need to pick up a guitar. And I started playing guitar because of Steve Ray Vaughan. And then after that, it was Van Halen, um, ACDC. I, ha- I had a big slash face on the guitar. And then the day I picked up a bass was when I saw Lemmy and Motorhead. And I was like, all right, okay. that's changing the game right now. <laughs> well, you- the moment I started listening yeah, to, to Lemmy and Motorhead, I was like, all right, I've got to change instruments. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got Motorhead right behind you, right? Over your shoulder. Exactly. Yeah. So actually, that's actually my two favorite bands, Motorhead and Airborne. Airborne um, are from Melbourne. And they're the reason I moved to Australia to become a musician, to try and figure out what the music scene is like in Australia. So it's it's symbolic. Where in France are you from? I'm from Burgundy, so Middle East of France and near Dijon. If you know the Dijon mustard, I just know. on the Dijon. Yeah, I know the Dijon mustard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah, I'm about an hour, probably about ninety minutes away from the southern border of France. So, are you? Yeah, um, I'm in Spain, uh, right, side of, right outside of a city called uh, Bilbao. So um, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, so that's why I said we're all spread out around the world here. Um, yeah, small world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is it about Motorhead and Lemmy that really spoke to you? His attitude, his integrity, the fact that throughout all the years throughout the decades, he's never changed for anyone. He made the music he wanted to make for himself and it turns out people liked it. At the first, people didn't like it, but that made them the worst band in the world and that helped them out a lot. Right. Um, But he did what he wanted to do on his own terms without uh, compromising for anyone and that's what I really, and his attitude and the way he plays as well is just bombastic. It just makes you want to hit the walls everywhere. It's it's (laughs) awesome. Absolutely. Um, getting back to the album, this is your second uh-huh. album. Once again, um, were these songs all specifically written for the album? Were there any that were left over or like pieces floating around from even before the first album? Uh, not from the first album. I can't think of a song that we had ready to go at the time of the first album. That's on this one. This song, some of them have been written before, well before lockdown that they've been worked on. And there's a song like Mr. High that we wrote in lockdown. It was, it was an idea between Rusty and Joel where they were bouncing back um, home recordings of something. And then when we were able to get back in the studio, we started working on that song. So this one is, was completely new to the concept. However, for this one, there's a lot of leftovers that we haven't used on this album because it just didn't mesh sonically. Mm-hmm. So we've decided we'll put them aside for now, refine them and put them on the, on the next album. So there's a few leftovers that we didn't want to record or rush for no reason when we had the material to get 10 good songs that really work together sonically and lyrically as well. Mm-hmm. Could you see putting that those songs out sooner than later if things persist? I mean, I don't know exactly how what's going on in Australia, uh, but... If you guys well, were anything, could you see putting that stuff out maybe next year already? Or, you know, do you have, do you guys have um, for that? If we, if we can for another record, um, we'll have to make, a, to get a few new songs as well to get on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in lockdown number six in Melbourne right now. We haven't, it's 
day 200 and about 10-ish at the moment of lockdown. So we haven't, as a band, we haven't been able to see each other for a few weeks now. Um, We haven't rehearsed. We're meant to be on tour right now in Australia. Everything's been postponed because we can't tour at the moment. So that's really up in the air. We need to be able to tour this album first. So now it's looking like summer in Australia for this to happen because all our shows that were meant to be now in September and October are now pretty much cancelled or at least postponed because we're not getting out of it for another few weeks, I reckon, until the vaccines get swelled out a bit more. But we hope that sometime next year, the year, well, the year after, we can we can do that, but we'll need a few more songs to do it for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And And... I don't want to get too much more into COVID, but what's lockdown like there? I mean, for me, last year here in Spain, we were locked down without being able to leave between March and June. We couldn't leave the house. Yeah, well, yeah, we we had this last year in Melbourne from about June to November. Mm -hmm. Um, And this time, Sydney had a flare-up about a month ago, so two months ago now which bled into Victoria and now Victoria, we've been in lockdown on and off for about nearly two months. So we had a couple of weeks off lockdown and then it flared up again. So now we're in lockdown. We don't know how long it's going to be for. So it's an hour, an exercise a day to go out of the house. Otherwise it's, it's staying at home for the time being. Yeah. Well, yeah. And because the vaccine is really slow at the moment to get rolled out. Um, it's, it's not an ideal look as it is to be perfectly honest. What is it? I mean, Roughly, what's the percentages like there with people getting, uh, yeah, with the vaccination going out? I think we've just reached about thirty oh, percent wow. nationwide of two of two doses, and about fifty-five percent, close to sixty percent of one dose. Yeah. So we're well behind on that at the moment compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, and I thought I thought we were behind, <laughs> but that, <laughs> that that's, that's yeah, we were. We, we were gold for a while where we were able to eliminate the virus and be on zero for a long time. And it was all parties and all happy. Yeah. And then the moment there's a flare up, if you don't have the vaccine, then we can't get anything out of it. So we have to wait a bit more for that. Um, yeah. It's pretty, pretty frustrating, but make it work to make the best of it. Yeah. If it wasn't for this, Napalm would probably never have got in touch with us. So <laughs> got to take the best out of it. Yeah. The silver lining is there, you know, that, uh, it helped it kind of happen. Um, yeah. There are so many things that I hear from the different p- press things that I've read that, oh, well, you know, the Ugly Kings sound like this band, sound like this other band, sound like, but you guys really have a lot of different ingredients that make the band what it is. Um, what do you think is the weirdest comparison that you guys have heard? Um, the weirdest comparison, I think, I reckon uh, Danzig for me stands out for the style of music. I mean, I, I like Danzig, but I never pictured it to be uh, anything close to what we do, especially since neither of us, I think, listens to Danzig. Um, okay. I mean, I, I listen to it and I like it, but I, I, I don't get into it. So I, I don't hear that comparison. We get a lot of. Jim Morrison, uh, the moment I saw the first saw the band before joining Jim Morrison, I got it because Rusty's voice is just that brawl, that bombastic brawl that he's got is very Jim Morrison. Um, someone once said as well that we sounded like Jack White if Jack White grew a beard and balls. <laughs> and I love this comparison as well because 
we all love Jack White and the White Stripes in the band, mm-hmm. especially Christos and, and Rusty. So I can see that comparison. We've heard I've heard a lot of Queens of the Stone Age lately. The other the others love Crozza. I've never listened to Crozza, so I can't relate to that comparison. Okay. Um, but but yeah, this the strangest one for me might be Danzig, I reckon, because I don't think either of us have ever been influenced by Danzig in that sense. Okay. I'll give you a response to that because yeah. there are songs that sound like Danzig to me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, often we, I've talked to artists where we talk about how a lot of people drink from the same well of influence. Uh, Jim Morrison was a huge influence on Glenn Danzig's voice. So there's that approach to it. And then there's um, Lawman. If you listen to Lawman, there are parts of Lawman that sound like stuff off of the things off of the first two Danzig albums. And the reason being is that um, those albums are straight up heavy blues rock which is some of the stuff that you guys do as well. So from that heavier blues rock approach and some of the things in, in the voicing is where, where that Danzig comes from. So ah, I'm glad, I'm glad you say that because I really like Danzig and what he does, but I never dug into it deeply. So I, I don't think I know the ones you're talking about. And I'm now I'm really interested in listening because I, I like what I hear from Danzig mm-hmm. without having to get into it. Mm-hmm. So now that you say that it's got that heavy blues element that Rusty sounds like, then I'm really interested to listen to that. So I'll have to dig into this for sure. I would, I would honestly say check out the first two Danzig albums. They're both self-titled. And then there's mm-hmm. an album that he put out like 10 years ago, which is called um, Death Red uh, Sabbath but it's not Sabbath, like Black Sabbath. It's spelt like in the old Hebrew term. So it's S-A-B-A-O-T-H. And that's from 2010. Those three albums, there are specific songs where he goes into more of a really heavy blues approach. And, you know, obviously since you're in the band, you're going to see it from a different light, but maybe there are different things that you can pick apart and say, ah, this sounds like X band that influenced us that possibly influenced them as well. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And no, no, I'll have to dig, dig, dig into this. Uh, that sounds good. Yeah. It's, it's funny because a lot of the other ones that you mentioned, like Queens of the stone age and white stripes, that's all over the press releases, the press releases, yeah, yeah. you know, a combination between both. Um, and I mean, I, I see aspects of it, obviously. That's why I said there's so many different ingredients to yeah. make you guys what, what you are that that sure you know again rusty doesn't sound like josh homie or jack white it's got more of that heavier blues sound but definitely some of the instrumentation i mean i could see exactly where where those comparisons are coming from as well agree yeah especially on the latest one as well when techno drone came out people compared it straight away to it and i, I didn't see the reference because i don't know quotes out too much and then um, I think it was Rusty or Christmas. I listened to, I can't remember the name of the song now. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can, I can definitely see the reference now. And especially since we, we've never written a fast-paced song like this before, right. or at least not one that goes all the way fast-paced like this, 
Um, I could definitely see the comparison after that when I heard it and Christos mentioned it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Okay. Um, you guys are very, uh, very much involved in social media. And specifically, you guys are one of the first bands that I've seen that's really embraced TikTok. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of other bands say, oh, no, that's not for us. That's for kids. That's for this and for that. And my thing has always been, if that tool is there, why not leverage it if that's going to help you, you know, get more people to check your stuff out? So very true. Yeah. So so what's driven you guys to to use TikTok and you know what's it like for you guys to put all these videos together? Um it was a suggestion from someone we know that said maybe you guys should try that out. And we're doing we've got Instagram, we've got Facebook obviously and Twitter a, a fair bit as well and that's that's always been what we've relied on. But someone mentioned TikTok and uh and we're like May as well try it. Why not? It won't hurt anything. We're just trying any and every avenue that can potentially bring attention to what we do and to our music, really. Um, in terms of usage and how to, how to create all, all those videos, I don't think we use it uh, in the way that everyone else is on TikTok in terms of right. doing more catchy videos and, and that sort of thing. It's also because you need to build a platform for that, for people to interact that much with your videos. Mm -hmm. So we often use the same sort of videos that we use on other platforms and kind of adapt the language to, to TikTok, for example. Um, it is it is a different world altogether. We, I think we're still learning a fair bit. Mm -hmm. But whatever can bring attention. If I mean, some of us in the band, two of us are teachers as well. Okay. So that means, I mean, my, my students absolutely love the band they've discovered i'm in a band and they absolutely love it so if by chance someday they they realize that it's on tiktok and just share it with everyone and everyone starts sharing it then what's the harm for the band <laughs> absolutely yeah um kind of uh a recent marketing lesson that i learned was that don't be ashamed to repurpose what you've already prepared. So if you've got it yeah. already ready for other platforms, why not throw it up, you know, on TikTok? And, yeah. Yeah. There's no harm, no harm in it. And also I've, I've recently started using the, the iMovie app, which I've never used before. And it's opened the Pandora box for me. I'm just having fun with it and just using videos. Like every, every clip we did, I was just having my friend recording everything we could do for behind the scenes stuff. And then I just edit as much as I can at the moment to kind of, let people see what's what's happening uh, in the background and all that, that sort of stuff. So that's really helped with just creating content, really, and staying relevant and, and showing people what's happening with us. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that's my interpretation as well from the outside looking in that even though the videos are different from what other people are using that platform for, it really is like a look inside of what you guys are doing in small glimpses, you know, little behind the scenes things, you know, when you're getting ready for videos or when you're getting ready for different things or just seeing the different band members just riffing on their instrument or whatever. It really does give you that feel that, wow, this is, you know, really kind of inclusive where you're getting, you know, that fly on the wall type, uh, type. Look. That's, exa that's exactly that. Yeah, any anytime I'm I'm looking at, at YouTube videos and digging for say a video of Steve Ray Vaughan at, a, at an odd rehearsal somewhere, I'm just like, this is gold. This is amazing to see how they came up right. with those riffs or with those songs. So the same one we've just done recently with Christos 
in his bedroom the day that right. said Technodrone or Strange Strange Times were created. That was in his bedroom. He was just having fun and mucking around. It turns out he turned on his phone to just record it. And now we've been able to share with people, see how this came from, where this came from. Yep. Absolutely. And I've, I saw that. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm mentioning what I'm saying. It's mm. really cool to see. As a music nerd myself, I can appreciate all that stuff. So, mm. Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you picked that out too. That's, it's good. That means it's, it's doing something for someone somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I th- again, I think it's, it's really cool to be able to use that to, you know, just as another way of getting to casting a larger net and bringing people in because also that platform, you, you do see random videos. So if there are mm-hmm. things that are similar to what you guys are doing, it may come up in someone's feed all of a sudden. So someone who hasn't, who doesn't know who the ugly Kings are all of a sudden, maybe, Hey, wait, what was that video? You know, who was that playing the guitar? What song is that? You know, so that's mm. uh, it's kind of why when I promoted this interview or when a few weeks ago I featured you guys uh, when the album came out for the, my new releases post, I wanted to include a snippet of the music so that people also hear, you know, what's going on. So, oh, wait, the Ugly King sound like this. Oh, I dig that. So let me check it out and see what they're all about. So. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. That's awesome. And thanks for that. Really appreciate that that sort of sharing to in between people like this. It's it's the best. Yeah. Um as far as gear is concerned, uh, can we talk a little bit about your your base and what you use uh as far as amps are concerned and all that? Yeah, I, I, um I'm a Thunderbird guy. Um the the Thunderbird base is my go-to, and that also goes back to Lemmy, where I know he's got the um the Rickenbacker. Yeah. But that's not the one I fell in love with when I first saw a video of Lemmy. It was he was just jamming a Thunderbird up high, and that was just the attitude. That was just the key. So I was like, I need a Thunderbird. So I've got two Thunderbirds here. And in terms of amps, um, I've always loved the look and the sound of the orange. Okay. So I've got my I've got my little orange combo in the bedroom here um, that I bought the first bought when I first got to Australia. And that stuck with me. And when we've got gigs, I always hire um, orange amps from a from a friend of mine because they, they get the big um, the big caps that we have in the clips as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's got that that natural gain that mm-hmm. comes from the amp. And I don't need I've got a pedal for shows when we're touring and I can't access an orange, so it kind of mimics that um, that sound. I've got a dark glass uh, pedal, mm-hmm. but otherwise I like to go natural from the orange, which is that growly distortion, which I love on the bass, that that Lemmy sound without being Lemmy. Oh, I wonder why he was playing a Thunderbird. Was he like jamming on stage with someone and that's why he had that? No, no, no. It was, it's a really early video. I think he might've been other bomber on top of the pops from like the late seventies or early eighties where they're, they're playing and um, and he's got, he's got the Thunderbird. I'm pretty sure it's Bomber or the or Iron Fist, one of the two. Okay. And he, and he's cranking it, and and I just fell in love with the look of it. It's just I found it so elegant yet rock and roll in it. And he and obviously Lenny makes it rock and roll, so it works out. Awesome. Um, they're asking in the chat if there's any way that you have the Thunderbird with you, and if you can show it. Yeah, dude, I've got my first one actually. Just here, I'll come and get it. I've got 
So this is when I first moved to Australia. So that's that the, she cupped a few uh, a few rings on the body. Okay. So that that's the first one I bought when I got to Australia. I came here with a Les Paul guitar, mm -hmm. and after about a year of being here, I sold it to because uh, I used to run a venue in, in Melbourne, and um, a dude was looking for a Les Paul, so I sold it to him, and then I bought this straight after, and my silver, the silver Thunderbird that I've got as well. I can take it out as well if you want. It's in the case. Um, I was on a run one day and I went, I was running in the city and I just stopped for a breather in a guitar shop, as you do when you go on a run. <laughs> and, um, and then I go at the back and I see this silver vintage Thunderbird and I'm like, oh, I could not get out of it without, without it. So I just bought it on the spot and it's been with me ever since now. That's the go-to. <laughs> so, so, so you continued your run with, with the Thunderbird in hand? Yeah, yeah, always, always Thunderbird. So I've popped this one out recently for the for the devil comes with a smile clip, right? Because she's got that that raw blues look. Yeah. Um, but the silver has become my go-to now. Yes, I think it was last week. I'm on a, a Thunderbird appreciation page on Facebook, obviously, oh, okay. and uh, and someone posted a gold one, and I'm like, I don't have the money right now, but <laughs> I will get a gold one at some point. I reckon it looked fantastic. The, the silver one, you're saying it's a vintage. Uh, do you know what year it's from? Uh, no, a, a vintage as in edition. They've, I think they've, they've re-released a vintage-ish reissue looking like. Right. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the model is, but um, it's – it's. I might actually take it out if you want to have a look. Yeah, sure. Um, but I saw someone posting the same one, and they said it was a reissue. When I bought it, it definitely wasn't um, used or it was like brand new – but I think it's a vintage ratio, they call it, mm -hmm. of some sort. But I haven't dug fully into it. So this is my favorite one. Cool. It's a, it's a little beauty there. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, all Epiphone as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, they're, they're awesome. And they sound, they play so well. They're so easy to play. Mm -hmm. And they just look absolutely. How can you say no to this when you walk into a shop? <laughs> um yeah to, to answer my brother in the chat no that i sold that 12 string rickenbacker to uh a guy up in canada and no i've never i've never bought another rick because they're so damn expensive and hard to come by uh here, yeah here in spain and i actually had the owner of a shop that i used to go to all the time that has since closed down he said to me why did you sell that before moving to Spain? I could have got you three times as much here in Europe. I was like, <sighs> had I have known that, that Rickenbach would have been in the container with all the other instruments that came over. So, yeah, um, they, they are really expensive. That's also why, like, I like the look of it and the right. sound of it, but it, it's it's Lemmy's bass. Like, let's be clear on this: it's Lemmy's bass. So <laughs> I was not going to pull that off. <laughs> right. Right. Um, how much difference is it in price for the instruments in Australia? Because they're all being imported, right? They're not being made no. there. Um, I mean, obviously, coming from France, you know that from the States to Europe, the, the prices do go up. But I'm assuming that in comparison to France, in Australia, it's probably even more expensive, no? Um, I would say so. I think this one in particular would have been 500 bucks or maybe 600 bucks. So that's what it'd be about 350 euros of some sort, 400 euros. 
okay. which is nothing for this. Yeah, which is nothing for this one. When I bought my Les Ball in France, that was nearly two grand euros back then. It yeah. was two thousand and nine or ten, two thousand euros, and I saw I would have sold it here for a thousand euro equivalent. Oh, wow. So I lost I lost money, and I don't know if it's much more expensive than that. But for this one, I'm not sure how much this one is in Europe. But here, I can tell you, it was 600 bucks, brand new. It was from uh, from the shop, brand new. So I don't think that's much more expensive. I think they might they might go for 500 in in Europe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, most of everything is definitely more expensive. Yeah. I'm wondering if because a lot of the Epiphone stuff is made now in Indonesia and stuff like that, if maybe because Australia is closer, maybe that could that be might, why there's, yeah. Yeah, that, that might definitely definitely help, yeah, for sure. But especially, yeah, especially these ones, like, I don't think this is expensive. I, don't, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what it is in Europe, but I don't think five or $600 for this, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, 350 euros is expensive. I wouldn't say it is. Yeah, for this quality, I'll, I'll I'll look. Uh, believe me, I'll look it up after the interview, and I'll see if that, <laughs> if that model's available. We can compare mm-hmm. notes after. Um, mm-hmm. As far as see the head, I can. See, so okay. if someone asking for the head, oh this wow, is the head. Okay. Yeah, she's a she's a beaut. Limited edition, custom shop. Cool. Um, yeah, Jared. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, you're in the UK, so even even with that, there's the prices are sometimes crazy there. Um, mm-hmm. Are both headstocks the same on both of the bases? Um, I think one one is black. Um, okay. Movement. Yeah. But the so this one. These the sunburst, the tobacco sunburst, the head looks slightly wider, isn't it? Let's have a look. I've never actually looked at that. It does look wider. Yeah, it does look a bit wider. It does. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. I've never noticed the difference. There you go. You learn yeah, something it is, it, every day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I usually just take them and plug them. I don't even look at them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so in the chat, they're asking money, not an object. If you could buy any base, what base would you buy? Um, I think, um, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm such a massive fan of Thunderbirds that I would go again for a Thunderbird. But at, at the moment, Christos recently showed me because he plays Hackstrom guitars, okay, the Swedish brand, mm-hmm. and he conveniently tagged me into a uh, Hackstrom bass recently. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure what he's, what he's trying to tell me here, but he tagged me into a Hackstrom bass, which, which is a hollow body right. and goes all the way around. So if you can picture Christos's guitar, which is a beautiful, it looks like, an, uh, like a Gibson uh, blues guitar. Like a, I can't remember the name of it, uh, but it's a hollow body that goes all around and back okay. around. And the bass looked very similar. I would probably go for something along those lines if I was to go for another shape uh, than the Thunderbird. Yeah, most definitely. These old school uh, blues-looking basses. Yeah, right. hollow body. Right. So it's I don't know. Of, I don't know how. Sorry, go for it. No, I was going to say kind of like um, uh, like the um, ES35, like what BB uh, King would play. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's exactly this. That's what that's the model I was looking for. Chris's guitar looks a lot like this. Mm -hmm. uh, that orange, but in orange, shiny color. Um, and I think the bass he tagged tag me in was pretty much this hollow body. Um, it had, I think it had a cherry sort of color. That would be a, a sort of ES35 air, definitely. Okay. See another question from the chat here. What do you think about all those five and six string bass guitars? Uh, I guess used by some bands, and they're only playing two strings. <laughs> um, if if that's the sound they need to do to to play their music, then so be it. That's up to them. If they only need to use two strings, then that's expensive to because uh, <laughs> buying strings here for basses uh, every time it's like sixty bucks. Yeah. So I think that's expensive enough for four strings. I can't imagine for six strings. So if they've got the budget and the will to do it, why not? Each to their own. Uh, but yeah, they need they need to use more than two strings. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I have a producer friend who always says that the hardest thing to do is to convince a bass player to buy new strings. Um, oh, it, <laughs> it, it depends on that time of month when you get paid too. <laughs> well, it's so expensive. Yeah, in his case. He always talks about the needing the brightness and new strings to record, and that a lot of um, that the common argument is, oh, but these old strings give my bass a certain feel and a sound. To which he's always said that it doesn't sound that great on an album if they're old strings. I uh, I will agree with this, where um, the the old string feel is not that great um it's okay when you play through a, a an orange amp that distorts the hell out of it that's okay especially live but when you want that crisp sound live, like before we went into the studio i got this bass reset up and changed the strings as well so that would have been about a week before recording um and then during the week i played it so it gets a bit of bit of wear but i would not enter the studio with um six months old strings definitely not it doesn't have that crisp element that needs to be on a record live no problem absolutely no problem it's drowned in the rest but on a record it needs to be crisp yeah um would you consider lemmy to also be your most influential bassist as a player or would you consider a different bassist a different bassist excuse me as the uh, um as your biggest influence uh, to to learn the parts? Um, as a player, the way I play, especially if you look at the most recent clips, I really, really hammer the hell out of the strings. So in terms of playing style, Lemmy would definitely my go-to, no questions. Right. Uh, but in terms of um, melody style, I'd say Giza Butler or John Paul Jones okay. would have more, I'd have more elements of those two than Lemmy. Lemmy was way more balls to the wall powerful mm -hmm. than melodic. I mean, he's got some melodic moments, but that's not what he built his career on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I definitely have more melodic elements in some songs in our, in our music, which I think I've been influenced by John Paul Jones and definitely Gears of Butler as well, Sabbath and, and Zeb. I've, I definitely have that melodic element. Yeah. Makes sense. Um... Do you have go-to songs by either one of those bases? Uh, I'd go Dazed and Confused for Led Zepp. That's mm -hmm. that's the the bass song for sure. Um, and for Sabbath, Into the Void. Oh wow! 
that's that's the two songs that for me the bass has everything that needs to be there without being too much they mm -hmm. play the perfect note at the perfect time in each of those two songs have you ever caught yourself uh writing a song or maybe recording a song and saying oh no that sounds too much like into the void or it sounds like this other song so you have to change it so many times, so many times. There's one that that was about to get onto the new album that we removed last minute, which has a lot of dazed and confused vibe to it. A lot of it. Yeah, it was. It's insane how much it sounded like it without being dazed and confused. Yeah, big time. <laughs> cool. Um, earlier this week, we all found out about the passing of. Charlie Watts, uh, Rolling Stones, a big, you know, they've done everything basically, but they really did start out as like a blues rock band. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of a blow do you think that is to not only the, the rock community, but for you guys as a rock band? Um, it is a massive one. I mean, especially Joel, who's the drummer, was influenced a lot by the Stones. And I remember discovering the Stones in my teenage years as well on that one on specifically gimme shelter there's a, there's a live version out there that i discovered the band on and i just fell in love with the stones at that moment because of that and from everything i've heard since then especially about charlie watts where he was apparently the gentleman of all of them he was mm -hmm. the girl guy and it's just it's sad to hear it's definitely sad to hear it is a massive blow i wonder what they're going to do after this because they were still planning things yeah, Steve Jordan is going to be playing with them, who's a ridiculous player, who's actually played with uh, Keith Richards' solo band, and he's played with mm. so many people over the years. He's played with Tom Petty. He's played with Duran Duran. He's done a lot of jazz fusion stuff. So, I mean, this guy can play anything. Um, I don't know if they keep going until just one of them is left. You know, who knows? Yeah, that's it's kind of the same vibe as ACDC when Malcolm passed a few years back. It's like, what's going to happen to them? Who's going to take over? And they got the nephew in, which is great because it stays in the family. But it's yeah, it's, it's exactly that question: When do you stop? Or ZZ Top as well recently. Yeah. Um, where they've, they've I've seen some photos, some footage of the new bassist as well this week. Mm -hmm. So I haven't heard the music itself, but it's it's great that they're continuing. But that, that's exactly what you said. When do you when do you stop? When do these bands actually stop? They start yeah. stop. It's well, it's it's definitely difficult when you're used to living a certain lifestyle and making a certain amount of money to just say, yeah, well, you know, we'll just give it up. It's it's yeah, money's got to come someplace for a lot of these people. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I to be to be honest, I don't know if if they need money anymore at this point. Bands like the Stones or or ACDC. <laughs> Right. But I think it's, I mean, it's my grandfather, he's probably 80 years old and he's a winemaker in France mm -hmm. and he hasn't stopped. He still, he still does make it, he's 84 years old. If he was to stop, he would die for, for guarantee that. Right. I think it's the same for these guys. You need, you need to keep your body and your brain active in what you love and what they love is making music and playing for people. If they were to stop, then they'd just be at home and just crackling completely. It wouldn't work yeah. for them. Yeah. So I can I, definitely see that. I can definitely see that. I agree with you. Um, mm. For you as a musician, what, well, you, we keep bringing up Lemmy, uh, but to you, what was 
what musician's death had the biggest impact on you? Was it Lemmy or is there uh, another one? Um, no, nah, it was definitely Lemmy because when it happened, at the time I was running a venue in Melbourne, which is very rock, metal, alternative oriented. And we built such a community and I was known for being the guy in the short shorts and the motorhead t-shirt behind the bar all the time. <laughs> I was known for that. and. When he died, I put out a call for everyone to come down and we had 300 people in the venue just drinking to the to the life of Lemmy. So that was one of them. And then a year after that, to celebrate the anniversary of his death, I created uh, an event called Murder One, a, a party for Lemmy. Right. And every year we'd have, we'd have um, guest musicians from, from Melbourne just playing Murderhead songs and 300 people just rocking to it all day and getting – I had a tattoo – um, not shop, but a tattoo uh, pop-up shop in the back of the venue where people will get tattooed uh, motorhead, whatever motorhead designs were for the day. So mm-hmm. it was an event. I turned his, his death into an event, which was phenomenal. Uh, so that, that definitely hit. Yeah. Oh, Van Helen recently, Eddie Van Helen, that really hit me as well because uh, it was my second guitar hero. And when I was 15, 16, I was obsessed with Van Halen and, and learning to play guitar like him. Mm-hmm. And when he died, and so young as well, that really right. hit recently, most definitely. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, another question that I saw flash by there. The question was, if you were um, a fan of Kiss, and do you think that Gene Simmons is an underrated bassist? I am not a fan of Kiss. and. I don't know the material enough to even say that he's either overrated or underrated, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, nothing that he's done as popped to my ears, as in I'm going to have to dig into this more at this point. I like, I like the, the bangers, but I never, I've never dug into it enough to, to answer whether he's overrated or underrated. Fair enough. Um, where should people go to keep up with the band? TikTok. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, every every single uh, platform or social media that you can think of, especially we're, we're very active on Instagram, um, Facebook a lot as well. Different use. Uh, we don't use them the same way. Mm-hmm. Now, if, you, if you're on TikTok, you can follow us on TikTok, but same thing, different use. So the most up-to-date stuff will definitely be Instagram for sure. We've got a mailing list as well that you can sign up to. Um, but yeah, Instagram is, is the most up-to-date stuff for sure. Awesome. And where do you want people to go to pick up Strange Strange Times? They can go anywhere. It's it's available. We have it on Bandcamp with the, the band exclusive color, the, that, that yellow marble color. Uh, we've got a few neon, um, neon green records as well, available in Australia mostly because the other part is uh, for Cosmic Artifacts in, in Europe. Um, otherwise, all the the other exclusive colors, um, Napalm's got them, so you can get them on the on their website, and apparently everywhere in Targets and WalMarts and stuff like that, they've got the black edition now these days. So you can find it there anywhere. You can get it, steal it, find it, buy it, whatever you want, as long as the music shared. That's what matters. Yeah, I, I got to look into uh, picking up the vinyl. I saw some of them, and they look sweet. But my 
the, the biggest issue is that napalm charges so much for shipping that i gotta look through uh other sources unfortunately i yeah it's I'm tough sure. yeah yeah, I met it's Germany, Germany to Spain. You would think wouldn't cost close to twenty euros to ship. So, yeah, we have on on the Bandcamp as well. We we do store some of our stuck in Europe for this edition. Okay, so whatever is whatever is ordered in Europe or for the states is shipped from Europe. So oh. for that very reason, that shipping from Australia is exorbitant. Yeah, and we we it's just not worth doing that since it was. Um, shipping from Europe in the first place, so we just dropped them at a at a company that takes care of the shipping from Europe to just to reduce those shipping costs that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, makes uh, complete sense. Awesome, mm. uh, Nick. I appreciate you jumping in at the last second. I hope that uh, everything works out with, uh, with my pleasure. Yeah, and I hope that everything you know going forward, nothing but success with uh, you guys. Uh, this interview, I'll post it in about a week's time. So I'll send you guys the link through uh, Instagram and I'll tag you guys and everything when it goes up. So uh, uh, Sounds good, Victor. It, it was amazing. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Promoting Thunderbirds. Never forget. <laughs> <laughs> I had a ball. No, thanks very much. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Nick. Best of luck to you, man. Take it easy. Thank you. You too. And take care and be safe. All right. You too, man. Bye. All right. Bye. Awesome. What an interview with uh, Nick Dumont from uh, from the Ugly Kings. Um, the Ugly Kings came to my attention uh, partly because Napalm sent the video to me. Um, I believe it was for The Devil Comes With a Smile. Um, and the other part is um, is because I posted several videos to Patreon and you guys you guys that are patrons like the like the songs. So when the album came out, I had the choice to pick from uh, the latest Sepultura album and a few other things. And I started listening to this album and I really started to like it because it has so many different ingredients. I mentioned it during the interview. It has so many different ingredients to it that it makes it original to the band and it just sounds cool. You know, Napalm is really building this stable of bands that um, that is very reminiscent to me to what Roadrunner did at one point, to what uh, Nuclear Blast is doing at one point, what Metal Blades has done over the years too, uh, where they're really building this roster of artists that really all sound different to one another. So they're almost creating like a one-stop shopping deal where if you want to hear something really heavy and guttural, you've got that. If you want to hear something that in this case is, you know, they classify themselves as power blues, which is the Ugly Kings, you've got that. You've got power metal from Workings. You've got, you've got a lot of different things, and they're releasing – uh, a ton of great things. They have Life of Agony, for example, if you want to look back to uh, uh, classic bands that they're involved with as well. So um, it's uh, it's it's definitely a, a label that I recommend checking out their artists. Uh, I've been posting as much of their stuff as I can within the Patreon group. And uh, Rob just mentioned that he hasn't been as active as he wants to. <coughs> 
believe me, I know that we all have other priorities. Um, I appreciate you being here every single Friday, chiming in, uh, sharing stuff. And, um, you know, I always say this. I appreciate the time that each and every one of you guys spend with me on Fridays. If you can make it live, if you can make it to the chat. And um, if not, if you, if you listen to the uh, episode after the fact or watch the video up up there on YouTube, it means just as much to me as well. Uh, 12 years in 200 and this will become episode 235. Um, If I'm doing the numbers correctly in my head, I'm thankful that I've got you guys from around the world here to, to check this stuff out and chime in. Uh, coming next week, Danko Jones on Tuesday. It's going to be at a different uh, time slot because it's what was allotted to me. And I will be talking to Danko from quarter to 11 in the U.S. to about 11.15 um, that interview will be available later on in podcast format and up there on YouTube for um, for those that can't catch it live. Again, I realize that a lot of people are are at work and whatnot, but um, you know, I, I have to uh, you know, I got I, I got to play the cards that I'm dealt, and in this case, that was the time slot that was given to me for Danko, and Danko is someone who I've wanted to interview for years, so. Uh, that is why, you know, I want to make the extra effort. Jeremy, yeah, I'm going to make another post about, about uh, Danko Jones and about people submitting questions. Um, I should have done that for tonight. And Nick actually contacted me. I was, um, I was getting into the shower and I see this, um, this Instagram message. Hey, um, uh, can we switch it up tonight? Because uh, our singer won't be able to make it for the interview. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. What are you going to do? I'm not going to say no. Uh, so, you know, I sent him the link and and we did it. So, um, uh, Jeremy, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to uh, Power Trio, the new album by Danko Jones, which I featured today during the new releases post. Um, my youngest son loves the album. Uh, I had it on in the car today and he was headbanging along and, and he was asking me if um, one of the songs is one of my favorites by Danko Jones. And he says to me, he says, I really like this song. Um, I said, is it your favorite by Danko Jones? And he says, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's one of my favorites. So it's cool to have an eight year old conversing with an eight year old in the car about Danko Jones. And, um, any of you that are that are in the uh, the chat, or anyone who's listening to this after, uh, the biggest kick for him obviously is pronouncing the Danko Jones name in Spanish. So there you go. Uh, anyway, you guys have been lively tonight. I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate all the questions that you guys asked. I may have missed a few. I apologize. Um, I tried to get as to as many as I could. And um, next Friday, I'm still working on a guest. Hopefully, um, I will be able to announce who that is shortly. As I've been saying to people, obviously, the patrons find out first about who I'm interviewing and allow them to submit questions. 
And um, if you want to be in the know, if you want to be behind the scenes uh, and find out who I'm interviewing or what songs we're voting on for the uh, for the playlist that we have on uh, Spotify and Apple Music, become a become a patron. Become a patron. Um, <laughs> uh, Rob Rowe, uh, when is the next Patreon episode? Uh, I think it may be next month is what I'm, what I'm thinking. I may, I may do the Patreon episodes every two months is what I'm thinking. And I have a few bands in mind. We already talked about Motley Crue and we've talked about Iron Maiden before that. Um, I mean, my natural instinct is to possibly talk about maybe Judas Priest or Metallica or even Black Sabbath. Um, I don't know. I may throw a, a fourth one in there and have people vote on the stuff, and and we'll see where it goes. Uh, whatever the the patrons vote on is uh, is is where we're going to go with that. So again. If you want to vote on that and be part of the next uh, band discussion here on the Signals from Mars live stream, make sure to uh, to join Patreon and do that for as little as two bucks a month. You can uh, we will open the the door for you and welcome you in. Again, you get video content, you get the album of the week, which um, uh, the the album of the week uh, videos that I've been doing. You get various questions that I ask, uh, throughout the week. And, um, and it's a great troll free environment where we have, you know, a bunch of people that, uh, that, that comment and continuously, we have others that chime in from time to time. I get it. Some, some people just, uh, just want to chime in when something kind of speaks to them. That's cool too. Whatever, whatever feedback you want to provide, uh, that is, that is fine. So, uh, to, to respond to the metal dentist, um, that is the second time that, uh, Sonic fusion has been brought up this week. And, uh, I said to the other person that asked who happens to be your cousin, um, I said that, that if he wanted to see a Sonic fusion, um, reunion, that the closest thing to it happens on Fridays, uh, here on this live stream. So if he's, uh, champing at the bit, he knows where to find it. So <laughs> in, uh, in, in any event, uh, Jeremy, I have to send you some messages regarding the, uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo uh, swerve that took place today. Um, I'm I'm sure you're heartbroken about uh, him going back to United and not going to your city. But um, we'll, we'll see where all this craziness and all the nuttiness of the signings take us. Jeremy and I see this is uh, I I did like 80 takes today for the uh, for the intro to today's episode. And one of the things that I had talked about in one of the takes was um, <laughs> was uh, was talking about how I talked to different members of of the Patreon group about different entrances or different um, interest 
Jesus, tongue-tied. Interest, damn it. Jeremy and I often talk about um, about uh, European football or soccer for you guys in the States. And um, uh, for Steve Hoker, Steve Hoker and I talk about wrestling behind the scenes quite a bit. So, you know, there are different things that I talk to the different members of Patreon about. Uh, I got to speak to Johan, who's up in Sweden. It's funny we both missed out on on a um, an episode of Talking Metal that we were going to be a part of. We both calculated the time wrong and thought it was two hours after when it was supposed to take place. So Johan actually called me up and we talked about Dio in Sweden and the U.S. for for some time there. So um, so yeah, that's that's why I go out of my way to post uh, Swedish bands uh, because I know that. A, I know that he's into that stuff, and B, just to, just to show him, one of his questions was how popular are Swedish bands in the states and in the UK and whatnot. And I, I reassured him that uh, Europe, that excuse me, Swedish bands are known all over the world. So there you guys go. Anyway, at this point, I'm rambling, and again, I appreciate you guys being here with me. Uh, we are wrapping up the show now. Uh, this episode will be available on um, pretty much all of your podcasting platforms next Friday, and it will be on YouTube uh, next week. You've been mistaken for Ben Shepard. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll have to have a conversation on that. Anyway. All right, guys, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here, um, and that's fine. But uh, and and as far as the Yoko Ono comments, not the last, not the first time that Yoko Ono has been discussed in the last two weeks. So there you go. Thank you, guys, once again. We'll see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream, brought to you by the Mars Attacks Radio. Pod the Mars Attacks podcast, MarsAttacksRadio.com, VMRIT.com for all of your web design needs. And with that, folks, we will see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 